Hey, this is Joseph Zala, and this is Grits and Grits, a weekly discussion with restaurant and beverage industry designers and professionals on all things creative. Thanks for tuning in. All right, everyone. Today we have Isaac Arthur from Kodo Design, an Indianapolis firm. They're focusing on food and beverage. I've been a bit of a fan of their work, shared some of the stuff on uh, Grits and Grids. Isaac, why don't you tell us a little bit about Kodo and uh, how you think you're living the brand and a little bit of the backstory. All right. Hey, thanks for having me on, Joseph. Absolutely. I guess the best way to start is to kind of go back in time a bit. So I went to Heron School of Art and Design here in Indianapolis. Uh, when I was there, I met Cody Fague, who became a very good friend. He's an incredible talent. And uh, we did a lot of school projects together. We had a lot of freelance work outside of that. We hustled a lot and found a lot of freelance work. And then uh, we each had internship experiences while we were in school. So he and I were at these internships, and we saw the creative industry create a barrier between the client and the designer. So uh, we were kind of at these old guard places, which probably had something to do with it. But, you know, you have like whether it's an account manager who acts as a strict go-between or rigid creative briefs or ways of gathering revision requests. We, we saw we saw this stuff leading to missed deadlines, blown budgets, uh, subpar work, unhappy mm-hmm. clients and designers. It just it's kind of a cluster. And so even back then, as lowly interns and students, we thought that the creative process should be inclusive and collaborative. And so mm-hmm. it's an it's a very important belief and a core value that that we hold. And uh, the idea that no one knows your company or your audience or your dreams more than you do. And so we want to make sure we understand what makes your company special, you know, whether it's a small nonprofit or a global technology company or a lot of what we do, you know, is that food and beverage stuff. You need to work directly with the people who are there every day. And so we graduated uh, in May 2009, founded Kodo the following Monday, and we have just this year celebrated our seventh anniversary. Nice. Congrats. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Building the plane in the air for sure. But we've, <laughs> uh, we've over that time, we've grown to five people, including Cody and myself. Uh, we work mostly with small businesses. Uh, and as you said, we focus very heavily on the food and beverage industry. So things like food artisans, restaurants, hospitality groups, distilleries, uh, and loads and loads of craft beer across the work and increasingly internationally. Nice. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that you came from. Uh, you said old guard. I think that's a very kind, kind word. Yes. Um, I usually call them BDAs, uh, big dumb agencies. Um, you know, they were the ones that were trying to internet. You know, like, hey, do you guys internet? Um, for the longest time. But uh, it's interesting to kind of get a taste of that and um, immediately jump into a focus. Uh focus on a certain industry or industries, you know, because the BDA mentality is uh, if you got money, we'll play. Um, So it's interesting. I mean, is that something that you saw uh, while working there? Like, hey, not only are they very uncollaborative, but they also cast such a wide net. Or or was that just more kind of um, just you happened into it? You know, I wish this were a more heroic story. We certainly did see that, you know, like very unfocused, just take whatever their, their own positioning isn't really nailed down. When we founded Kodo, we were working primarily with nonprofits and we were very uncooked and unframed as well. It wasn't until a couple of years in when we realized we actually started going through proper branding process for our own company that we realized that we needed a position and actually choose uh, maybe an area to kind of focus on. And it just so happened that we were doing a lot of food and beverage work. And so we we just focused on that and tuned that up and, and, and then obviously built that portfolio over the years. But uh, so so again, kind of happened organically. And uh, for sure, we do see a lot of companies, even amazing design firms that really just take on whatever comes through the door. 
uh, and they, they can do good work even, but it's, I, I would think it would be kind of scary waiting for that next project to come in if you're not, you know, like the leading expert in a certain field. Yeah. Yeah. It's intimidating when you're first starting out too, because you, you technically don't have that expertise, um, you know, built up. Um, I, I mean, I don't have a heroic story either. It was very much a, uh, you know, um, I think I mentioned it on a couple of the other podcasts that I happen to be on, but when I started Vigor back in 20, uh, 2003, man. it was anything for everyone, man. You're, you just grab claw steal. You got, you got a paycheck. I'm willing to do it, man. Let's just mm-hmm. go. Um, but I think it's when I moved to Atlanta, I realized that like, you know, that was, uh, in the midst of that deep recession, um, that I think you guys probably, it sounds like you started right in it. We, we did. Um, yeah, we didn't have anything to lose, but yeah, we graduated and then lived at home with our folks for a year afterwards. And yeah, right. again, not heroic, but uh, we made it work. No, man, there, there, there's a there's there's a beauty in it. You know, it's smart. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, places start the same way. I mean, hell, I did the same thing, man. Um, I started Vigor when I was on an, on unemployment, living with my mom. Um, Badass. <laughs> yeah, I designed a logo for a tea room across the street. It was pretty great. <laughs> Um, so we all have our origin story, but what I, I think what I found, you know, um, before moving to Atlanta, it was an everything for everyone or anyone, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to Atlanta, I almost had like this epiphany on the 12 hour drive down that I just, man, I was not practicing what I preach. I, I, I preach to all my clients focus in, unless you have this huge marketing and advertising budget that I don't know about, you really got to hone in and, you know, um, market smartly is what I would call it. Uh, yeah. a friend, a friend of mine kind of used the analogy of the sun, sun being a ball of energy. Um, and you can kind of warm things up with the sun or you can use a magnifying glass and burn down a whole city. <laughs> and, uh, that was kind of the mentality is like, okay, well, what do I love doing? I love doing this. So why not, you know, tell everyone else to bugger off and just focus on this. Was it, was it similar for you guys or was it more just kismet? You kind of fell into it. I think we, I mean, I'll just actually name the client. So we ended up working with the Indianapolis city market, which was this, uh, it still is this fantastic hub for food artisans. Uh, and through that work, we ended up working with a lot of those actual vendors. And then that led to a lot of, uh, we have a lot of unfortunate, uh, food policy, uh, and food desert issues here in Indianapolis. So we started working a little bit where nonprofit and, and food issues would collide. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm saying all this because it just like, you know, one project led to the another, to the another, to the another to where eventually, whether like even if we didn't say that we were focusing on food and beverage, that's kind of what we were known for in our community. Gotcha. And, and then that that is something that you know you can easily scale, you know, regionally or nationally if you can do it properly. So, uh, yeah, it kind of happened organically, and then we we realized what was happening, and then uh, built it up from there. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it sort of fell in your lap, but it sure is like a fun industry to be a part of. Um, so that sounds like it was mostly food. How did the beverage stuff start coming about for you guys? Uh, I think back to the city market, one of our first or our first beer project for sure would have been um, a a bar called Tomlinson Tap Room. Uh, it mm-hmm. is uh, it might be the only one still in the country. It's a uh, craft beer or Indiana's uh, guild, the Brewers Guild, and the city market partly own it. And so it's a bar that features only Indiana craft beer, and they've got something like uh, 19 taps. And it's if you are traveling from out of town, it's a fan, and, and other states have stuff like this for sure. But it's a fantastic place to just like not have to stop at a hundred breweries. You can you can get a lot of different like a sampling of what's here. So we did that, and that put us in touch with a lot of breweries and uh, distributors. 
And then from there, I think our next one would have been 450 North, which is just a, a very small uh, family, cool uh, group of people. And then uh, I think, man, I don't even know what happened after that. We just, just like exploded. So Yeah. Yeah. How, how big is the team right now? Uh, it's kind of like, I know we're not talking about that, but it'd be interesting just to know. It looks like on the website, you guys are around like five or six. Yeah, we are just five. Um, That's great. Yeah. And, and as far as designers go, so uh, that would be Cody, Marshall, and Ryan uh, doing most of the branding packaging work. Uh, Mike does all of the interactive stuff. And then I do brand strategy. So kind of the the like brand messaging and positioning stuff. And then also wear 20 other hats like everyone a small company does. Sure. I mean, so how do you, how do you guys, I mean, for, for me, when we're, when we're trying to tell a client to really focus in, it's really hard for the restaurant and the beverage industry because for them, they're so dead focused on the, the product and service. You know, you, you ask a restaurant client, like, Hey, what's going to make you different? Oh, we're going to have the best hamburgers and our service is going to be <laughs> unprecedented. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Yeah. Like, you know, table stakes, welcome to the game. Um, you know, how do you guys start to, uh, you know, eliminate that myopic kind of ideal and start to get them to see that like, you know, uh, positioning is actually a bit different than that. I think what, what we see is there's this arms race to be the most, especially in food and beverage. Um, we'll just talk about restaurants, the most local, the most authentic, the most craft, uh, or more earnest than everyone. And what happens is, is you're alluding to, you have an entire industry that says the exact same thing. which runs completely counter to the craft ethos itself. You know, when you're celebrating provenance and transparency and craftsmanship, the things that you should be celebrating by saying them, you kind of lose authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a fun way, like we like to push, I, hopefully this answers your question, uh, a way to push beyond that uh, right up front when we're kicking off the project is we like to have clients list like industry cliches and trends or fads. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be a fun conversation and it will all laugh. And then, and then the, the weird thing is that not 20 minutes later in that same conversation, they will list those same ideas as like why they're different from their competition. So you get the, we're going to make the best pizza or we're going to brew the best beer, or we're going to stand for high quality and drinkable or whatever. Um, and, and, and I think that it's very important as design firms to, mm-hmm. to push people beyond that. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to complain about something because I, I'm dealing with it right now. We, we've, um, yeah, we've, we're, we're working with a client, a fantastic client, but, um, for whatever reason they had worked with another agency, it didn't work out. And then they rebounded with Kodo as often happens. <laughs> and, uh, they, they, I'm not joking. They received out of this project, like kind of the, the final thing, this bloated brand guideline document that was, I shit you not 2,500 words long and about 30 pages Ooh. Yeah. And, and as you can probably imagine, it didn't say anything of substance. Um, it yeah. actually, it actually had one of our favorite beer tropes, which is like their values. One of their value statements, we believe in making high quality drinkable beer that like all craft beer lovers can enjoy. I, I swear if that's not the exact <laughs> quote, it's pretty close. And well, that, yeah, cause I know a lot of people, they, they really jump in and they're like, I want to make barely drinkable swill. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I want to do. I want to I want to skid by and to where people are confused, whether it's beer or just like dirty water. <laughs> you you said you said table stakes like, you know, <laughs> e- even even for Kodo, like going through this process. And I get it because like when we were our own client, I was like, you know, we're going to make the best work on every project we can. And, and, <laughs> and Cody's like, well, y- yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to do that. Like, you don't have to say that. And so like, it's important for our, our industry to push people beyond those cliches and platitudes and stuff. Like you cannot just pick the most obvious one. Um, 
And I think, especially when you're thinking about value, something that we've we've found very valuable is uh, Simon Sinek's Start With Why. I know that you've read it. Everyone's, oh, re- yeah. everyone's read it. It's a fantastic resource. But, but a lot of people that we've found, I mean, it was really like uh, enlightening when we read that book or saw the TED Talk or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, because w- what we're finding is that a lot of people do really stop at like kind of the what or how or even the what level. You know, like we're a brewery. Yeah. We make great beer. And, and, and that's just so short selling, especially like with just craft beer, you're talking about 4,600 other breweries. You have got to find something more ownable and unique to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's obviously easier said than done. I mean, cause like you said, when we're, we're our own worst clients in a lot of ways, um, you know, again, when I started, it was anything for everyone. I wasn't, I wasn't even listening to myself, you know? So (laughs) I'd be in a meeting saying everything we just said, and then going back to my little my little hovel and doing the opposite, um, just you know this banal sort of generic ethereal. We design things that are important for people. Uh, you know, it's like we, we work with we work with the best clients in the world. Well, what does that mean? Right. No, so so does Kodo. So does Vigor. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I, I would challenge that. I know I have some pretty terrible clients in the past. So <laughs> it's just it's just all shit. Yeah, I think I think we want to say uh, we want to work with the best clients in the world. Please help us. <laughs> yeah, just that dead inside smile on the front page. You know, like. <laughs> Everything's sort of great, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of weeding out um, bad fits. You know, I love. I love the clients we have right now. Um, actually, one one in particular, I, I do not love, and they're no longer a client as of last week. Uh, and we're going to be tackling that in October when the theme for the month is horror stories. <laughs> um, so that should be a really fun month for everyone. Yes. Um, but I guess, I guess circling back uh, was Simon Sinek's Start With Why. I highly suggest any designer, every designer read it. It's um, I get no money from this, although I may put an Amazon link somewhere so I might get a little bit of a kick. God knows I need to make money somehow. Um, but it's so, it's so brilliant because uh, it really starts to get to the epicenter of what a good brand really is and why they are as good as they are. And um, – you know, like you said, they usually people usually stop at at the what most of the time when it comes to food. It's like we're gonna make the best pizza, and I'm like, I disagree. Yeah. I already have a favorite pizza. You know, fuck you for telling me I'm gonna like something else better. <laughs> you know, like, who, who are you? You know, so it's it's when you start thinking of it like that. Like I, I kind of like the way you uh, force clients to almost start positioning themselves against their own words. Um, it's smart because you know you can't come into you can't open a new place with the intent of you're now going to be the best pizza, hands down, unanimously. that pe- People have never experienced a pizza this amazing. It's like, bro, we eat pizza everywhere. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've experienced some pizza, believe me. For a lot um, of years, yeah. Yeah, I would say I am an expert. I'm a, <laughs> you know, I don't know, like an autophile is for uh, wine lovers. What would a pizza lover be? It'd just be like uh, just a bad <laughs> <laughs> regretful uh, yeah just a big just a big fella <laughs> exactly regretful while still eating a slice of pizza um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like don't quit you know that's one thing that we can all agree on <laughs> um so i forget where i was going with that but uh it's interesting because you know we had a pizza client not too long ago that is coming to atlanta to cool. they're gonna change the game bro it's oh, gonna yeah. be changed and i'm like man that's we're gonna that's, offer- a, that's a whole 
Wood fired pizza. What? What? <laughs> no. With wood? You, Real wood? Are you going to have local ingredients on that pizza? <laughs> exactly. So we spent so much time with them kind of pulling them back. Luckily, the uh, the founder had already read Start With Why. So he, awesome. he was really, yeah, he was like primed. Um, I think, though, the toughest thing is it's, okay, we read it. Check that box. Great. We believe in it. Check that box. Great. Time to execute on it. Now it gets a little scary because it's starting to take some risks. Um, it starts to push people out of their comfort zone. Uh, so, yeah, we want to change the game. We want to change the game. Oh, but that name that you came up with is too different. It's like, well, you yeah. want to change the game. <laughs> and that's, you know, the, one of the reasons we ask about you know, list off cliches and trends or fads and stuff like that is that we often find that clients want to dig their heels in for that kind of safe me too stuff. Even if they, they completely, you know, they've, they've read the book, they understand branding completely. It's very hard to make that leap to, we're going to say something different about our pizza place that isn't about, you know, our pizza. And so mm -hmm. when you, we, I think what we have to do as designers is push them to understand the, the value of, getting at that, that passion or whatever that, I mean, I'll just keep saying why for, for lack of a better mm -hmm. term, understanding what that is. And that's the thing that, that will age really well. Like when, when you think about like your company growing, those values should be immutable. They likely will be immutable. Like I'm, I'm sure if you were to look back, you've probably done this or thought about when you started Vigor, you know, working with that tea room across the street. Um, right you probably have the same values today in, in large part that you did all those years ago. I mean, I would guess. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. And I, I go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was disagreeing. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Trying to find that passion with them was tough. Cause there's like, bro, we serve tea and scones sometimes. <laughs> scones. <laughs> yeah. Would you like a scone with your tea? <laughs> Needless to say, they're not open anymore. So, uh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bummer. <laughs> that that work goes right off the website. <laughs> uh, that work never made it onto the website. Uh, um, got it. Yeah, that was, uh, fr you know, mom's friend. Again, real early in the game for me. <laughs> not um, not really vigor yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll call it something else. Uh, well, <laughs> I'll find another name for that work. <laughs> that was the pre-vigor vigor. vigor. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, though. Uh, Going back to practicing what you preach, I think practice is the most important word of that uh, that saying, because um, there's a lot of preaching that we see, uh, and then then like when it comes down to implementing it, it really becomes tough, you know. And that's when people get scared. It's like they're running up to the cliff, and then boom, the, the brakes are on, and they're like, "Ooh, maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. Maybe we take uh, a ladder down a couple floors and then jump." Um, so how do you start to like, you know, uh, in your, you know, with your clients, how do you start to prime them for that big moment, that, that, that leap of faith? Cause it really is one. And especially in restaurant and, uh, you know, and now beer specifically, um, where it's so saturated and the failure rates for restaurants are, um, you know, they're the things of stories. They're always talked about. Yet everyone wants to open a restaurant still. I don't understand it. Um, but beer is going to be there. Um, I don't know if you see the writing on the wall like I do, but bro, some of these, th these are going to start falling off. Some of these are going to fail. It's going to be a bummer for everyone, but there's too much of it. It's a bubble. Um, so how do you start to get them to think in the right and actually take that leap? 
I think a lot of it, and we have learned this over the years, certainly, a lot of it is when you bring the entire, you have to engage the entire team, you know, whether that's like three people, then it's pretty easy. Or if you're rebranding a company and maybe there's 10 restaurants are a little hard because you have, you have to communicate these values to an ever revolving cast of, you know, like servers and stuff like that that come in. Mm -hmm. So that's a real challenge. But the big thing is, is one of the most important kind of things, quote unquote, that that a client can get out of a proper branding project is understanding like their own positioning, their own, again, just why their, their brand essence, their values. If you get the entire team understanding that we found that it's very rare. We've worked with, you know, like super small, you know, just one guy doing this thing up to huge companies. And, And we found that at each level, if you get as many people as possible, especially in senior leadership, and then like up and down the chain, understanding what you're talking about, that's a lot of the, 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 problem right there, or that addresses a lot of the problem because then it's not just something that our industry does a lot, which is, you know, we make a badass brand identity and we, we roll it out and it gets on design blogs and we're all happy. But then the, the, the client goes back to not really changing, you know, too much about like, even like their email signatures and stuff like there, there's right. just like basic visual inconsistencies. And then there's certainly stuff where like, you know, your sales team might not actually understand anything about the process you just took this company through that they just paid a whole lot of money for. And I think that's a, a failure. I mean, in, in our early yeah. days, we we were uh, we didn't know that. And we were very bad about kind of the the brand launch. And, and now we're, we think about that, you know, not at the very beginning of the project, but, you know, maybe about a quarter of the way through the timeline, we're starting to think, how can we roll this out in a way that your team gets it, that your your current customers can get it if you're rebranding, of course. Um, and we think that is a, that's an important thing to consider uh, in this industry. It very much is. I mean, and, and I think a lot of us in the creative field are, are guilty of the knee-jerk sneering at oh, new dude. identity work. Just look at you brand know? new, man. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, God, look at those comments. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry that you don't like the Venn diagram nature of the new MasterCard logo. But if you think that like Michael Beirut just – got drunk one night and drew two <laughs> circles and said, boom, nailed it. Like you're sadly mistaken. Um, and I think those of us who approach design um, the way you do, the way um, Vigor does, uh, and I'm sure uh, some of the other places out there, I have found myself like jumping on the the hate bandwagon and being a little bit of a hater sometimes. Um, but it's mostly because it's that, you know, it's such a subjective field at times. But when I take a step back and I realize, okay, there was a process behind here. There was thinking behind this. Um, and that that thinking is usually not delivered to people appropriately out the gate. Um, not that us designers have to be the ones that it's unfurled to. Um, but I have an all new respect for a brand launch video when it's done appropriately. Um, but I think even those sometimes get a little bit of a sneer because it's like, yeah. you know, essentially you're selling a story and you're tying it to a to an identity. And so I think a lot of us start to question uh, the authenticity of it. Like, is this just someone peddling snake oil in a really good way? Um, you know, I, I hate to say this because from what I've heard, she's a really, really awesome and nice person. And I do respect her design thinking. But. I have a problem with uh, Pentagram's overuse of DIN. I think it's like the go-to typeface right now, or at least was over the last five years. Um, But, you know, I look at the work and I'm like, ah, you know, but it works. It looks good. It's strong. So, you know, am I just being a type snob? 
<laughs> we we were discussing and actually, I mean, um, us throwing rocks at pentagram is really cute. But uh, we were we were actually discussing we were discussing that same thing the, the uh, a couple weeks ago, and I don't even know if pentagram had done it, but it's like can a large museum rebrand without looking like a large museum? Uh, uh, it seems yeah. like they all like honest, and I'm not just saying it because it's here in town, but the IMA, the Indianapolis Museum of Art, is. Uh, one that jumps out is actually being different and then spawned a whole lot of copycats. Uh, they all have, you know, like we're going to strip it back and we're going to use Den or Helvetica or whatever. And we're going to let the art like maybe more play through and carry the, the, the visual branding as we tell that story and what, whatever who like, this is all subjective, but it's like, you look at them, you stack up eight of the logos side by side. It's like, that looks identical. And if it's all coming from an agency, maybe that's a, a whole other podcast, but the, the philosophy yeah. of, you know, an agency having a style versus, you know, being flexible enough to work with a client and then adapt to their specific communication needs. Uh, I don't know what the answer is there. I, I know that we've always leaned and I'm sure you do as well towards identifying whatever is, you know, uh, compelling and appropriate for the client. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, that actually will be uh, another episode where we talk. Actually, I think it may be a whole month where we talk uh the value or the devalue of having a style. Like, is it, you know, in one hand, it seems like a good thing. In the other hand, it could be crippling. Um, yeah. Uh, but moving beyond that, I think the biggest problem that we can all infer with working with a museum is um, the group mentality, the group think mentality. Um, you know, you're asking probably a board of, at the very least, six. Yeah. You know, and at the very most, probably 18. Um, and then you have a design team that's probably at the very least six, at the very most, you know, maybe 10 or 12. And you're asking, so you're asking around 20 to 30 people to come to an accord over a look and feel. And uh, <laughs> it's what an ask, like what a huge ask. You're never going to get something really groundbreaking or you, one might eke through when you have I would say the best conditions, which is a small group and uh, a small group who isn't afraid to take a, you know, a balls out leap. And um, it's a shame. I think there's like there's an anecdote that if you ask, uh, you know, 20 people to go buy one cone of ice cream and decide on what the best one is, you're going to always get chocolate or vanilla. <laughs> um, and and it's interesting because you know, I think that's what we're seeing with like museum and organizational branding uh, these days is that uh, we're getting vanilla because it's safe and nobody really wants to put their neck out there to do something different. Um, and except maybe the Tate over in uh, London, which I thought did a pretty good job of being yeah. different. Um, it's yeah, interesting. That That's, I mean, thinking about that large, because we used to do a lot more nonprofit work and, and I, I think it was uh, Mike Montero that used the term or where I first read the term swoop. Uh, which is the idea of, you know, like that, that one guy that you do or don't know exists who can basically nuke an entire project, like with his approval. Oh uh, God. Yeah. It, and they're, they're always hidden until like they do it, dude, you know, like <laughs> it, it, it's, it's terrible. Like we, we, like every time it hasn't happened in a while, so it doesn't, I'm not jinxing it, but you think you've believe. identified everyone like, you know, we've, we've got, we're working, we're engaging these people early on in the process. We're gaining insight from them. We're presenting work to them. They're, they're involved because a lot of that is that emotional intelligence aspect of, am I engaged? Am I calling the shots? If, if I'm that type of person that needs to call the shots. Um, mm -hmm. and then sometimes you just get nuked, like completely burned because right. something happened. I mean, man, uh, 
we had a project very early in our career where we, I mean, just about a year of work, including uh, visual work and strategic stuff. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. big project for us back then. And it just completely went sideways. It's one of the few projects we've ever had that just like completely went bad. Uh, and it was because we had not identified a couple people that were really kind of in charge of everything behind the scenes. Um, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, extracting the true amount of stakeholders, I think, from the get-go is such an important part of the process that a lot of people forget. Um you know, because it always is like this dark wizard in the corner that you never saw. And then all of a sudden you're about to pull the trigger. Everything is going great. And then, boom, the CEO's son who was interning comes in and is like, I don't like it. <laughs> Everything just falls apart. Um, I think it's happened to a lot of us uh, early on. Um, that's a lesson that you quickly learn. Um, speaking of lessons learned, uh, what I'd like to do is – stay true to my promise of 30 minutes. So yes. I, I think I'd like to distill this down and, and give some the listeners some things to think about and chew on uh, based on what you had said. So I think first is the the um, it's vital that you practice what you preach to your clients. You know, I think it's really important that you focus uh, on an area. Um, again, unless you're sitting on a gold mine of money, it's going to be so much better for you that may take a minute to get started up. But you know, take it from Isaac and I, it's, uh, it's very well worth it, whether it's by design or by kismet. Um, and I think the other thing that was really important that I heard that I think is a good takeaway is what you were talking about with, um, the exercise with your clients where you have them list what makes them different. Um, and then I'm sorry, I I forget exactly how you do it. So you, you list what makes them different and then have them answer how that is, uh, positioned against, their competition. Do you want to explain yeah. that a little bit further real quick? Yeah, it, it's it's just it's kind of a small question in our big list of questions, but you ask them to list uh, industry trends and, and, and fads. And, and what, what happens there is they laugh and you have a lot of fun with that. But then mm-hmm. that gives you kind of some of the leverage not to be manipulative, but when they are later, like even in that conversation or in the process, wanting to, as you mentioned, like not wanting to take that big leap, they're kind of digging their heels in and they're wanting to be a little like more vanilla. You can say, well, I mean, like, you know, we have this conversation where you said the following X, 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 and uh, it can help you kind of push beyond that in a way that, you know, it's like this came from your mouth. Like, do you disagree with this? So we found that that to be a, a very smooth way of managing that that phase of the process. Yeah, it's really smart. And I think, you know, having it uh, in writing, you know, not in writing, but like in print, something that is tangible that they can hold and um, yeah. always being able to ladder back is is a really smart thing. Um, so this has been great, man. I really appreciate the time uh, and the insights and the, and the conversation. Um, where can people find you? Where do you want people to connect with you? So, uh, you know, we are on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff at Kodo Design. Um, our website would be cododesign.com. And then uh, we have just recently launched our craft beer branding guide, which is craftbeerbrandingguide.com. If you want to check out um, a very thorough step-by-step process at looking at branding a brewery. But the secret is, uh, you know, those principles, aside from a few like very specific beer things apply to other small businesses. So check that out if you want to. And uh, yeah, look us up anytime. Yeah. Laddering on that, that, that beer uh, book is amazing. Um, It's all online. So that website that you go to is actually the book. It's beautifully designed. It's well-written. I stepped through it myself. So uh, it's great. I think the only thing that I don't like about it is I tend to read when I'm in the bathroom. 
and it's just a little bit difficult to do so. So you'll have to get a print version of that soon because I'm, I'm turning old as the minutes go by. And I, I liked it when books were printed. <laughs> um, but it's great. Everyone should right, check right it out. With right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will never change. Um, all right, man. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been great. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed what is actually the first uh, discussion for the Grits and Grits podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback on the website. We'll have some show notes on gritsandgrits.com. And uh, as always, follow us when you're over there trying to follow Coda Design at Grits Grids across most of the social media channels. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.